Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, hey, if you have not yet joined the new amazing Eat Blog Talk community, you have to go do it. You will find so much value inside, including connecting with other food bloggers in a much deeper way and having access to all kinds of exclusive value, such as bonus podcast episodes and mastermind groups and a resources and service providers directory and so much more. Go to eatblogtalk.com for more information and we cannot wait to see you inside. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today, I will be having a discussion with Taylor Dawson from Chibo.com, and we will talk about the emerging economy of interactive events. Taylor is the founder of Chibo, the leading platform for live interactive cooking classes. He is also the director of interactive media for GE Appliances and an advocate for innovation within corporations. He loves cooking from scratch, designing and making things, and playing music. Taylor, I'm so happy to have you here today, but first, we want to hear your fun fact. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here too, Megan, and it should be noted that you have run at least one, have you run more than one class on Chibo, so thank you for uh, being a sport. Just one so far, but one's coming this week. <laughs> so, uh, fun fact, um, my first name is not Taylor, that's actually my mom's maiden name, and she gave me that as my middle name. My first name is actually Jedediah. And people are often questioning where that came from. So, you know, people have heard of Jebediah Springfield from The Simpsons. No relation. Um, it's actually a Mormon pioneer name. So I come from uh, Mormon pioneer stock. Uh, don't always necessarily identify with Mormonism entirely now, but um, there are uh, important elements to that that make up my heritage. So. Um, the, and the reason, the really fun part is the reason why I don't go by Jedediah has a lot to do with the last two syllables of Jedediah, which are Daya, which end up being the first two syllables of another word that I will leave to your listeners. In the <laughs> has has to, a lot to do with being five years old. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is a fun fact. Jedediah. So does anyone in your family or anyone at all call you Jedediah? Uh, when I was going, so here's the problem with having, going by your middle name, it always comes back to haunt you. And it's not like, I, it's, it doesn't actually haunt me, but when I was in uh, like middle school and high school, particularly in middle school, when they call out the role, 
they always call you know your first name the legal name the one they have on the roll on the first day of school and so every day like this is just something that would happen every single year they call out jedediah jeredaiah jebediah jedediah whatever they couldn't no one could ever pronounce it and then once they would do that the cat was always out of the bag i didn't learn you know when you're a teenager you're really uncomfortable with being different and then i didn't learn to appreciate it until i was in high school when I recognized, you know, my differences were actually an okay thing. And people started calling me Jedi. Sometimes they'd call me Jedi, which was kind of a cool thing. So um, it's actually been uh, a fun thing, fun differentiator for me to have throughout my life. Oh, that's cool. I love that. So our youngest son is named Samson. And I just love that name because it's a little unique. It's cute. And he hates it. He goes by Sammy. So he's always experiencing that too. Like in school, they'll be like, the first day of school, Samson Porta. And he's like, oh, stop it. My name is Sammy. So (laughs) he hasn't yet gotten to that point where he identifies with, you know, just being a little bit different and that being cool. But I think someday he'll embrace Samson. (laughs) Yeah, 15 or 16. I mean, if we're being honest, it's going to be a while. Yeah, that's all right. (laughs) Well, that was fun. Thanks for sharing that, Taylor. So we're here to talk about interactive events. And as you know, interactive virtual events are huge right now. And we've been a little bit forced into this new format because of everything that has transpired in 2020. I mean, they were a thing prior to that, but I think more than ever, they're pretty big. And you are the founder of Chibo, which is an interactive platform for live cooking classes. And I know that people, um, both content creators and just home cooks wanting to learn more about cooking, are really excited about this platform and what Chibo has to offer. It's really cool. So to start, I would love if you just gave us a little bit of background on yourself as well as GE Chibo and how these online events have transpired for you guys. Yeah, the first thing you need to know about me is that I was trained as an engineer. I have two engineering degrees. And so if I end up getting a little bit nerdy, uh, you'll have to give me a little bit of grace for that. Um, but uh, I work for GE Appliances, actually. So I founded Chibo along with the group of, there's six of us who are on the team right now, um, who were passionate about the idea of creating a community around cooking. Um, so interestingly, we came up with this idea of doing this back in 2019, well before COVID hit, Um, not really understanding, obviously, what the impact would be of COVID and uh, having, uh, in a kind of dark way, become the beneficiaries of uh, what has otherwise been a a terrible time. Um, But uh, we weren't prophetic or anything. Actually, what we were trying to tap into was a trend that we saw with like Peloton, for example. So Peloton was moving fitness to the home and talking about how you could, you know, follow along. And they were doing a fantastic job at that point, eight or nine years into their journey of creating community around exercise and fitness. And the question that we've been asking at G Appliances probably for the last five years is how do we build communities around the things that um, people, that, that people are doing with our products, right? Cooking or you know, cleaning or uh, just, you know, the things that people love to do. So um, we looked at a number of different trends and we realized that if we started, you know, uh, uh, some sort of a a place where people could post recipes, well, that had been done like 10 years ago. Um, If we started just making video content, that was something that people had been, that had really taken off like five years ago. 
And we realized that if we really wanted to um, be in the game, then we would have to be ahead of the curve. And we thought ahead of the curve could mean uh, doing interactive video. Um, to be honest, there really, in the beginning of 2019, there hadn't been a lot that would have been done around interactive video. So some of the things that, uh, other things that inspired us were like Twitch, where you could, where people were live streaming. But even then, the level of interactive interactivity was pretty low. So what we decided to do was we benchmarked um, Zoom and Google Hangouts Meet and Adobe Connect and two or three other video platforms to find out if it was even a possibility that you could have one person instructing with a multiplicity, that's my engineering terms coming out, probably because I've just been reading patents, a multiplicity, I will not apologize for it, of people out in the world who could do things and what we realized that, okay, in order for this to be powerful, you have to make it possible for not just like five people or 10 people to be able to do something, but you have to ultimately make it so 100 people at a time can follow along or, or 1,000 or even you know, 10,000 people could follow along. So what we wanted to prove initially was, can we create an awesome experience where people can learn to do something that's otherwise complicated or that we, they would never otherwise even attempt um, if they have an instructor who's teaching them? at the same time as 99 other people. So that was the challenge we were trying to, to solve. Um, and it turned out that we tried Zoom and we tried Google Hangouts and those applications, because they're designed for video conferencing, do a really good job of video conferencing. And each one's a little bit different. Each one has some specific benefits and, and downsides, uh, but none of them were really adequate to do what we were trying to prove, which was that you could have a really positive experience with interactivity and cooking, which, as it turns out, is a very complicated um, thing to do to try and get someone in one location instructing you how to do how to do all of these different things uh, that you're cooking uh, while many people are doing it in a different location. So uh, the way that we approached it really was we would spend every week we would um, try one new platform. Sometimes we try them for you know one one or two weeks. Um, we would learn whether or not that platform was capable. So what we were all first trying to do was just find out, hey, if there's a platform that you can do this on, we don't want to build it from the ground up. And then when we started to find poke holes in them and find the issues, we decided that it was time to build our own proprietary platform. So that's what Chibo has become. It's a place where people can host up to 100 people running uh, live interactive cooking classes. And of course, we're very conscious of the need to do it well so we survey people afterward and make sure that they're having a positive experience once we got to the point where and it, it did take us a lot of tweaking and a lot of testing and experimentation to get to this point but once we got to the point where people were saying uh, uh a high percentage of people were saying wow that was an amazing experience that's when we really knew we had something and so so since then um that was kind of earlier this year about the time that covid hit we have been working on scaling up so the timing i mean it really was kind of coincidental that you guys had been working on this prior and then covid just kind of helped you guys expand a little bit i love hearing stories like that because as you mentioned there's so much darkness that came out of covid for obvious reasons sickness and all of that but there are good things and I love hearing those stories like the Peloton bikes. I like that you mentioned that too. Kind of random companies are like, oh my gosh, I never knew about them. They've been around, but here they are. They're shining. It's like they're finding their star moments here. And I love those stories. 
Well, that was the serendipitous part about it. The the kind of crushing reality part, and I'm sure um, every food blogger who's listening to this can identify with it. Is as soon as COVID hit, it no matter what, like even if you even if there is an opportunity out there, you don't always see it immediately. And so what we had been doing at, up to that point, um, because we were still pretty new in this journey, was we had been flying people to our studio and having them run their first one or two classes in our studio. It allowed us to develop a good relationship with them. It got them comfortable with the tech without having to run it all themselves. And immediately we had to switch, flip a switch and say, well, we can't do that anymore. So how are we going to enable people to do what had been in our in our timeline six months or a year out was we're going to make this possible for people to do it from home. But we had to figure out how to do six to 12 months of worth of work in one month or two months so that uh, we could still continue running the business. So um, again, that actually ended up being a positive for us as well. I think it forced us to do something that, that we'd probably been delaying longer than we absolutely needed to. Uh, so at this point, you know, we've got it set up. So it's really a matter of having a phone and a laptop, getting um, them connected together in the right way and being able to use them as a multi-camera presentation. But that uh, narrowing down to that, you know, it sounds simple now in retrospect, but narrowing things down to that and figuring out exactly the right combination of devices and the right configurations and so forth for a broad range of people uh, was a significant effort, a significant creative effort on the part of my team, I think. It's just proof that sometimes outside factors force us into figuring out a problem, right? I mean, you guys were kind of in a hard spot. You're like, well, we need to figure this out quickly instead of six months, 12 months. And you did it. And it is possible. And I think we get into that mindset where like, we have lots of time to figure something out. But when we're forced into um, like a time frame, then we actually sit down and we do it. And your space is so unique. I want you to talk a little bit about that because a lot of food bloggers listening are not familiar with this really interactive platform that you guys have created. And I was shocked to be in there to see how cool it was. You are doing everything live and people are watching you. They're cooking with you, but they can also communicate with you. So can you talk about that a little bit, like kind of the full interactivity scope? So there are a lot of places where you can go and watch, right? Um, Food Network is a great example. They produce fantastic content. So actually, before we even started, Food Network had announced that they were going to have some kind of an interactive experience in their mobile app. Um, and so it hadn't launched yet, but it launched a, a couple months after we started and we tried it out. And again, the, the quality of the content from Food Network in their mobile app for this kind of interactive experience was very high. Um, it's exactly what you would expect from Food Network. But we were trying to prove something a little bit different. So at least in, in theory, um, Food Network's app allows you to cook along, but we noticed a couple things as we were watching it. So one thing was the the hosts, people who were hosting the classes, weren't actually going at a pace that anyone would actually be able to follow along. And then the interactivity was really limited to it was there was a separation between the person who's in theory cooking at home, probably just watching, but in theory cooking at home, and the actual chef. So uh, they would be there was a moderator between them and the moderator would allow the person who was cooking to see maybe some of the comments or bring some up off camera, but not necessarily allow direct interaction. 
And we were, while I think there is value in that, what we were trying to prove is that you could actually have a cook-along demonstration where a large percentage of people, if not all the people, were actually cooking along. Um, So that takes interactive media to its ultimate extreme, right? Now, um, you know, interactivity, what what is interactivity on Facebook? On Facebook, interactivity could be as, as limited as giving a thumbs up, right? That's that's a valuable interaction, but the ultimate extreme is um, we are together, you know, focused at the same time doing something together simultaneously. And of course, that is where the really big challenge comes in. How do you create a platform, a virtual experience that enables that to happen and enables it to happen in a way that's satisfactory instead of frustrating? So as a great example, like one of the first experiences we had when we did this, again, if you are ever creating a new technology platform or really doing anything for that matter, um, set up a discipline where you force yourself regularly to engage in that activity and then evaluate yourself on a regular basis. So what we did was we ran these weekly classes. The first platform we tried was Google Hangouts. And in the second or third week of doing that, you know, Google, we invited about five or 10 local people to um, our events and then I dispatched someone to each of those homes. So there was a person in our studio who was cooking and our studio was really just a makeshift space. It wasn't actually a studio, it was just a a space, a kitchen that we had co-opted for the purpose of this. And then um, we had someone, I dispatched someone to the homes of the people who were participating and we had them watch these people as they were trying to cook along. And the first thing we noticed was the person who was cooking would go way too fast um, and as soon as the person who's at home gets one step behind, their brain is focusing on the step behind. They can't pay attention to what's happening. And so the, they would get frustrated. And literally week two or three, uh, the person who I dispatched to this, this participant's home said that the, the at-home participant was so frustrated that within five minutes of starting, they literally ran out of the room crying because it was so frustrating for them. And, you know, that is a good characterization of a lot of our first, you know, five, six, seven weeks of doing this was trying to understand um, how to pace it and then what types of kind of indicators we had to put within the experience to make it possible for people to communicate back and forth. Because if you're going to have 100 people communicating, you can't have them all talking at once, right? Um, So, uh, yeah, what we ended up doing was we we stripped everything out except for the basic fundamentals. And then we added in things as we went that would reduce uh, frustration and then add some delight. So as a good example, when the first time we did this, we, we just made the blatant assumption that we needed all audio and all video from all parties coming in at all times, right? So what that ends up being for the person who's hosting the class is an overload of information, right? I can hear everyone who wants to speak to me whenever they want to speak to me, and I can see everything that they're doing at any time. Um, And we pretty quickly found out that that was a bad experience for both the person hosting and the people participating. So then we said, well, what if we can make an experience where uh, the people who are participating don't have... uh, don't necessarily, they don't actually, they've, we've already heard the feedback that they don't want to share their video because they're worried about their hose being a mess for the most part. Some of them do, but for the most part, they don't. And so what if we strip that out entirely? If we can build an experience where really the opportunity they have is to speak back to the host when they feel like they need it, 
when they need a little bit more instruction. Um, so we started with a very bare bones experience and then we added really important features like um, there is a, the host can, uh, what do we call it, put a session break out there. So about every 15 to 20 minutes, if you're doing something complex, you throw a session break out there and just ask people to respond if they need a little bit more time. And that gives the host an opportunity to kind of relax, to take a bit of a cognitive break, because of course, teaching at the same time that you're cooking can be a challenge. Um, and maybe tell some stories around what they're doing, become you know more personal about things, and it gives people a time to catch up. And everyone feels comfortable with having been solicited by the host for the opportunity to take a break. By contrast, if you feel like you're the person who is, you know, the only way you have to to say I'm behind is to push a button, speak to the host in. And where everyone can hear you and say, I'm behind, please slow down. That's an uncomfortable experience. So we had to learn how to create, make the experience comfortable for all of the people who are participating at the same time. And then it turns out that when you're developing an experience for people, the ultimate end solution ends up feeling very elegant, but you only get there after a lot of struggle. I think um, I'm going to end up quoting Steve Jobs too many times on this, but um, I think the way that he talks about it is elegance is the, the, uh, the simplicity that is on the other side of, I don't know how we said it, but, you know, chaos. So you end up with a very simple, simple understanding of how things are going to work. And you think, oh, this is really easy. And then you get into it and it gets complex. I think it's uh, on the other side of complexity. So things get very complex. And then ultimately you end up with an elegant solution, but only after realizing that elegant solution solves all of the complexities while appearing very simple. Yeah, it is. It's really cool kind of what you guys have settled on. And I could not have conjured it up in my mind. When I first heard of Chibo, I was really intrigued. And then getting into it as a host, it was just, it's brilliant. It's very simple. People aren't going to want to press a button or say something on their own like, hey, I'm behind. But when the host prompts and says, okay, we're going to take a little break, let me know when you're ready, then of course, people are going to be much more inclined to say, not ready yet. So just things like that, like such a little thing, but such um, a game changer, I think, as far as making the whole event a success on both ends. It takes the pressure off the host. It takes pressure off the people following along. And you mentioned like Food Network. Yes, Food Network puts out amazing content and they do these great displays of cooking, fabulous meals and recipes, but who can really follow along with them? It's more just like we watch them cook. And I think it's always been assumed like you can cook with me if you want, but really like we don't have all the stuff prepped. We can't go through it that fast. So it's really a different experience. Like you literally can join this experience and cook right along at the same pace and have the same final product in the end, which is so cool. Yeah, in fact, when we first started doing this, we used Peloton as our uh, kind of, initially, we thought that that was our North Star. And within a few weeks, we actually basically outlawed any references to Peloton for a long time, because if you take, uh, if you try too hard to take some seemingly analogous example, then it turns out you you think that you apply that that model too far. And we found out that the model of like how we were going to do this for Chiba had to be so different than the way Peloton works. As an example, like with a Peloton experience, 
anyone can hop in at any time and get value out of it, right? All you do is start, you can, you can hop in right in the middle and just start pedaling. Um, you can't do that with Achievo experience. You have to be there at the beginning. If you're not there on time, then you've missed, you miss any single step and you've missed the entire thing. Um, and so we had to develop uh, ways of handling that. Um, also, like a good counter example to Peloton is, you know, if you if you want to start a Peloton class, the the equipment is standard. It's the same every time. You you put your your gym shorts on, you put your shoes on, and you get on the bike and start pedaling. Uh, with a Chibo experience, it's different every time. You need the right ingredients. They need to be there at the right time. And sometimes you even need to do some prep work in advance. So we had to come up with elegant ways of getting that information to people and getting people prepped for it so that they would be there on time, that they understood you know, exactly how to get set up in their kitchen because everyone's kitchen's a little different. And um, so... It turned out that there was a lot. There were a lot of a lot of little problems to solve that really weren't very analogous to that platform, and it helped us a lot to kind of break free from the paradigm and start to create our own paradigm. So obviously, you guys learned that it's possible to get things accomplished when you're given a tight time frame. But what other little lessons have you learned along the way from this experience of creating this awesome new platform? Yeah, when uh, COVID hit. As soon as COVID hit, we started seeing articles online about people who were hosting classes almost exclusively actually on Zoom, um, hosting live live cooking classes on Zoom. And, you know, initially we were like, oh, this is, this is scary because people could easily just use Zoom. And then I attended, every time I saw one of those, I would attend one of the classes and just check it out. And what I realized was the same thing we learned, had learned a year previously, um, Zoom wasn't the platform to do this on yet, right? It hadn't developed the tool set that it needed in order to be uh, the solution that we were providing. And, and ultimately, what we realized was the solution we were providing to people was a place where they could grow an audience of people who were willing to pay for um, a, a ticket to a, a class and be able to have a lot of people join at the same time. So as an example, we, you know, we've had people who've started out being able to sell 10 tickets and They've quickly escalated after running five or six events to being able to sell a lot more than that, right? Some people 50, some 60, 70, some people 100. Um, and so they're, they're doing a good job making money. And you can, you can do that to a certain extent on Zoom, but it breaks after a certain number of people. Um, and it feels like the breaking point for a great experience on Zoom is somewhere around 10 people. Um, and so... You know, initially we had some fear about that. And then about a week ago, um, Zoom announced it was doing something called OnZoom. And we're like, oh, great. Like, and so OnZoom was targeted exactly our target demo, right? Creators who are doing interesting things that other people want to do with them. Because they'd seen a lot of people running these classes kind of, you know, cobbling together their own set of tools to get people to, um, to sign up for a class, to pay for it and all that. And so I think very rightly they responded to it. And, you know, when that happens, I think your listeners will identify with this. It's just like stress and anxiety and you get a big, big pit in your stomach because Zoom has, I, I think we looked it up, like 1,200 employees, probably a lot of them engineers, like they could, they could quickly bury us. Um, 
and so we were freaking out. I mean, I was freaking out. I didn't, I didn't express that to my team probably, you know, the way, but I, I, you internalize that and it becomes stress. And so of course the next thing you do is you sign up and then you, what I have realized is that they haven't cracked it yet. So they're focusing on a part of the problem, but not the main problem, which is there needs to be a different version of Zoom. Like Zoom itself has to be a different thing for this to really end up working. Otherwise, you're going to hit this breaking point. And they might figure that out. And if they do, then I'll, I'll continue to be nervous. Um, but I think the most important thing that I've learned, I, this is my, uh, let's just say, third round creating a venture for GE Appliances. And uh, I think the most important thing that I've learned in this round that I don't think I understood or appreciated before was when we first started this thing, we had an intuition that it could be it could be good, and we we tested that intuition. But the approach that we took to it was, we're going to be the people who become the experts in this what we think can be a new and valuable technology, and we're going to get deep into the understanding the intricacies of the actual experience, um, which honestly wouldn't be the first. Um, the first approach that maybe a team that otherwise has a corporate uh, background would go to, um, you know, the first, the first thing an, a corporate team might otherwise think about would be, well, let's outsource a lot of this stuff and, you know, let's just be kind of the owners of the brand, but let's have an agency come up with what this experience is going to feel like. And what we decided was, no, this is complicated. There are, there are literally a million different permutations of the approach that you could take. And the only way, the value that we gain here is by being the people who understand in depth what the problems are, how to solve those problems, then build the platform in a way that addresses the problems. And to date, no one has done that yet, as well as my team has. Um, and so I think the thing that I'm most proud of is that we had that intuition when we started and we followed that and we've stuck to it till now. And I think, uh, because of that, we're leading, our technology is leading the pack as far as interactivity of experience. Oh, I love how you phrased that. That's so perfect. And I think it's very important that you guys have stayed in the game and not just outsourced it, like you mentioned. And food bloggers, I think, can relate to that too, because there are so many parts of our jobs that we get in and we're like, well, I could just hand this off. And then when we do that, I feel like we lose something. If our touch isn't in it, something is lost. The fact that you guys have all stayed in it and that you had that intuition early on, I think is so key for your success. And I'm really excited to see where this takes you. I think you guys are going to be growing very quickly, which kind of leads me to Speaking to food bloggers, so food bloggers are listening, content creators who love sharing their passions for cooking, and they are also business owners who are looking for additional avenues of inspiration as well as monetization. So how can food bloggers listening start running these sorts of events on their own? Yeah, um, so there are a number of different ways you can start doing this on your own. Uh, if you wanted to just try it out, you could literally um, get a um, uh, man. What's the an Eventbrite and start selling tickets, and then you know link that up to your Zoom account and start sending 
you know, basically the, 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 the basics of it are very simple. Send people who sign up the recipe, tell them what time to show up and then deliver the content to them. Um, if it's of interest to them, of course, we've done a lot of the groundwork there and we can, um, we can probably simplify that process for them. Um, so Chibo has, we're, we're taking on a limited number of new people before the end of the year. I think uh, our goal was to bring on 50 people by the end of the year. I think we've got something like five to 10 slots left. So there are, we do have some availability before the end of the year. If they're interested, they can reach out at chi.bo slash apply, chi.bo slash apply. Um, there, but you know, the, the most important thing period in on any journey is taking that first step. So I think personally, I think that this is a direction that the world is going in. We, I wouldn't have invested the last 18 months of my life in it if I didn't believe that it was the direction the world is going in. And I think that merits getting started. Um, I think it can be really, some, there's something about this that can be very nerve wracking for a lot of people uh, because when we think about developing content, I think we we expect that the the content has to be perfect, um, and then you add the anxiety about doing something live. What people are looking for, the people who join Chibo classes, is they're looking for you in your most raw and you know human form. They've been following you and they trust you. They wouldn't read your content if they didn't, and so you can take part in the fact that they just want to get to know you on a more personal level and they want what they're looking for. They, a lot of times they won't take the leap to doing one of your recipes um, unless they feel like you're there with them, guiding them and they will get an, an enormous amount of benefit out of actually being incentivized to do something along with you at the same time. And they're going to enjoy it a lot. So. Uh, there are hurdles, you know, there's technological hurdles, there's an anxiety hurdle that a lot of people deal with. Uh, my team happens to have helped uh, many, many people overcome those hurdles. So we, we know what those hurdles are and we can address them with you if it's something that you're interested in doing. You guys are so great. I mean, I've recorded a lot of videos of myself, you know, making food, but it's different. There's something different about being live and being raw and as much as you can prepare always is the possibility that something is going to happen. Like my dog started barking ferociously at our neighbors during the video. And it's like, of course that is going to happen. But I think people realize that this is real life for us too. It's real life for the host. Not every situation is going to be perfect and that is okay. And I love that you guys embrace that and you are okay with that. For me, it was scary leading up to it because it's a new challenge but gratifying because like you mentioned, Taylor, there are people that follow us who love how our recipes look. Maybe they've made one or two recipes from our archives, but do they really dig in and make as much as they could from what we offer? So having them, you know, give a few dollars that kind of incentivizes them to show up and come to the class and actually make our food with us and making it alongside us, I think is a really valuable experience. So the whole thing is just so cool. I love what you guys are doing. And Taylor mentioned if um, you want to apply, you have a few spaces left. So 
correct me if I'm wrong with this, but chi.bo slash apply. Is that correct? correct? Yeah. Okay. And do you anticipate expanding the amount of hosts you have or are you kind of holding out? Yeah. By the, um, so we do invest quite a bit of, as you know, uh, our own effort into uh, onboarding people. And for that reason, that's the basic reason why we have decided that we're going to keep it to a limited number before the end of the year. Um, but I expect that at the beginning of next year, we will continue growing and start adding people at a, an even faster pace. So I don't want to discourage anyone from, um, from reaching out. I think uh, there are still spaces and we value everyone who is interested in doing this. And we'll, we'll have a conversation with you and decide if, um, if now's the right time. I think, I think it is the right time. I think people should, um, should, uh, we'd love to have conversations, whether or not you are ready to commit or not, at least we can give you more information on it. And my team understands now that we've done this with dozens and dozens of people, we understand what the landscape looks like and we can even help consult you on how, how you should approach it and whether or not you're, it's the right time for you and all of those things. So we're open to having any conversations. Um, and, a lot of times a conversation now can lead to you deciding that you want to do something three months from now and then being ultimately successful six months from now. So uh, I would just encourage you if this is something that's of interest to you to just reach out and I'll talk to you or Abby from my team will talk to you and uh, we'll decide uh, how to approach helping you get to your next step. I think it is the perfect time to do this. This virtual experience is so huge right now and I can't, I don't see that going away. I only see that growing. So even if you don't get into Chibo or if you're not interested in that, I mean, I would recommend that people at least get their toes wet with doing some sort of live class for their audience, even if it's just three or five people. I think there's such value in that as a home cook, as a food blogger, recipe developer, all of that. So really appreciate all of this information you've shared. Taylor, is there anything you feel like we've missed that we should touch on before we start saying goodbye? I don't think so. I've been aching. You asked me to come up with a quote. Oh, yes. Go for share. it. And uh, it's always a cop out to quote Steve Jobs, first of all. So I apologize <laughs> for that. But Not at all. I, uh, I disagree. <laughs> I, I've just been motivated by this particular quote. And I think it's a great fit for your audience. So I've had the opportunity over the last year to talk with dozens and dozens of food bloggers. And every single time I do, the first question I always want to know is, how did you, you know, what motivated you to get into this? Because it is a really challenging path. You know, it starts out with just passion and a belief that you're going to ultimately be successful with when you first start. It's, you know, there, there's very little evidence of that. And so you have to be optimistic. You have to stick to it and you have to be really disciplined. And so I love talking with food bloggers for that reason, because every single one of them is uh, a, a diehard entrepreneur um, who's quite often doing many, trying to juggle many different things at one time. Um, I couldn't identify that with that as much before I started on kind of my entrepreneurial journey that I've been able to go on with NG Appliances. And so I personally, you know, I haven't taken anywhere near the plunge that many of uh, your listeners will have taken. but uh, I like to get inspired by them. So the the thing that I often try and harken back to when I, if I, if I am getting frustrated or feeling like 
I'm not making the progress that I want is this idea that I used to believe in the inevitability of the march of progress of technology or just the general march of progress. It's just, you know, these things seem like things that happened to us that were just inevitable, Uh, the rise of personal computing or whatever, right? And it turns out that those things were actually created by other human beings. And Steve Jobs, I think, used that knowledge, that understanding with greater leverage than practically anyone else ever has. And knowing that, I think, was what made him so powerful. So the way he said that is, he said, everything around you that you call life was made up by people who are no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. Once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. That Yeah, that is such a great quote. And I love how you tied that in to food bloggers that fits so perfectly. And I, we do get caught up in that, right? Like, well, their computers and technology is advancing. But yeah, there are humans behind that. So we have to give ourselves a little bit of credit. Thank you, Taylor, for sharing that. And thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to share value with food bloggers. So just thank you. Thank you, Megan. Yes. And we will put together a show notes page for you, Taylor. If anyone wants to go visit that, feel free. You can find that at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Chibo. That's C-H-I-B-O. Taylor, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Uh, Honestly, I do not manage my social presence nearly as well as I should. Uh, So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, You can reach out to me on LinkedIn and connect with me, please. And then we can have a chat there. Um, or just, uh, if you want to talk to us, if literally anyone who wants to talk to us, uh, go on that application link, uh, we'll see your application immediately and we'll set up a chat. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here, Taylor. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.